Most of the people in this book are powerless until they find a handhold on the Bill of Rights. There, embedded in the first ten amendments to the Constitution, are the words the framers gave them to climb and counter the mighty state, to keep their speech free, their confessions true, their trials fair, their homes and files sealed from cavalier invasion by police. If the rights were solid, all of the people's stories would be uplifting. But parts of the Bill of Rights are eroding, dramatically in the war on terrorism and less obviously more gradually in the war on drugs and other common crime. In courtrooms where hardly anybody goes to watch, violations of the same rights undermined by counterterrorism are evident, if less flagrant. Searches without warrants, coerced confessions, punishment before judgment, the near extinction of jury trials, and legal defenses impaired by poverty and unreasonable procedure. In criminal justice, as in counterterrorism, the executive branch has grabbed immense authority, distorting the process of determining guilt or innocence. All these are breaches of our founding principles. The principles remain, compromised but not abandoned. They rescue some of the people in these pages and leave others to suffer from government's abuse. Those who are violated, whose rights lose force, tell a cautionary tale to those of us who have not been victims yet. I decided to do this book on the morning of September 11, 2001. Sometime around 11 a.m., I finally loosened myself from the grip of the awful images on television, stepped outside into the dappled sunshine of a brilliant day, and in a moment of extreme clarity had an extreme thought. There go our civil liberties. It was a rash prediction, I knew, and I quickly reformed it into a question about how firmly we would hold our liberties in such a time of testing, whether the Bill of Rights would sustain us. I figured there would be deterioration, but how much? Where would we come out at the other end? That was about as far as my thinking could progress on that dreadful day. I had another book to finish first, which took me another two years and by then my curiosity had broadened beyond counterterrorism onto much larger ground. What happens when rights are denied to individuals who dissent, protest, or run afoul of the law? How do the Constitution and the key elements of the Bill of Rights play on the lives of citizens and immigrants in everyday America? That has been the framework of this exploration. When I told people I was writing about civil liberties, I was peppered with wisecracks. Oh, remember them? Better hurry, there won't be any left. You're doing a history. At a luncheon in Washington during the administration of George W. Bush, retired generals and ambassadors at my table jumped in with a raucous round of one-liners. I guess it won't be a long book. It's getting shorter and shorter. You'll be a pamphleteer. Ha ha. I couldn't keep it short, a sign of the complexity of our constitutional culture. For it is a culture, as well as a body of law, containing not only rules and regulations, but also values and mores. This makes a landscape too vast for a single volume, so I've divided it into two books, with the second to be published a year after the first. This one focuses mainly on the element of liberty most severely affected by the spasm of fear following 9-11, the physical boundary between the individual and the state, guarded by the Fourth Amendment, which guarantees the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures.
The second book will assess the risks to rights protected by the First, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments, and the implications for accused criminals, legal immigrants, and ordinary citizens seeking to practice democracy and maintain individual liberty.